Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good afternoon, whatever time of day it is. I I forget sometimes. Welcome to Zero Today. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. It's our goal to promote a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and as always, to empower you, our listeners, to knowing, being, and impacting the world around you. We like doing that. That's what we're here for. That's what we try to do every single week. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey, and there's several ways you can do that. Uh, the first and primary way you can do it is by calling the number 347-237-5230. That's the number to call to get your thoughts, two cents, four cents, six cents, a dollar in, uh, commentary, whatever it may be. You can do it that way. We also have the chat line open, so you can get into the chat room. Simply go to Blog Talk Radio slash Sierra today, and you get in, uh, get in on that discussion. Uh... Uh, follow us on the uh, Facebook page, Zero Network. Uh, yeah, that's up. So you can you can do that. Catch up on archive shows and post your thoughts there too. Where else? Yeah, we're on. I'm on Twitter at Prophesy. Also, hit me on my personal email, Pastor Lorenzo Neal at Gmail dot com. Whatever else we are on, we try to get on. If we're not, oh well. Oh, yeah, by the way, hit us up on my website, LorenzoTNeal.com, and also the show website, Blog Talk Radio, slash Zero Today, and subscribe to the show, like the show. We appreciate it. We have a wonderful show lined up for you, as always. I have a wonderful guest that I'm very excited to have on who will be coming uh, uh, toward the middle and the bottom of the hour, and the person, uh, uh, Dr. Tanisha, uh, I hope I say her name right, Dr. Drennan. I'm going to say Drennan. By Tanisha Drennan, um, wonderful uh, scholar. She's a, a pastoral care expert. She'll be talking about that because we're going to be talking about uh, mental health taboo in the black church. Why we still scared around the issue? Why don't we just address it? How can pastors address it? How can churches engage and be transformative? In this area, and she's going to help us in that. And we got so much stuff to do and talk about. I always like having fun on this show, so I got some stuff we're going to talk about that's going to have fun. Well, it made me laugh. I don't know about you, but before we go any further, let's do what we always do go to the Lord in prayer. God, our Father, God of grace and mercy, we thank you for another opportunity to do this website, this this uh, radio show. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Now, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer is our prayer. Amen. You guys know I always like to start off with the headlines. And uh, there's so much going on from pictures of Detroit to uh, these pastors who uh, apparently decided they were going to uh, pose opposition to the Congressional Black Caucus for not being at the uh, joint session with 
up Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, I know I just massacred that, so oh well. Um, so there's a lot to talk about. There's just two things that just stood out in my mind. You know, I was I was surfing the web and on my personal Facebook page, I came across uh, uh, something that just uh, I I just don't know how to explain this. Okay, here's the first. There, there are two things I'm gonna share. Okay, two, but both of them just crazy to me. The first one is this. There is a, a video that has gone viral on the web, and it's a video of a pastor washing the heads of his members. Now, uh, <laughs> you're probably wondering, well, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the Bible tells us to wash the feet. You know, well, at least Jesus washed the feet. Anyway, but he's not just washing these guys, these people. He's washing away their sins with detergent, bleach, and water. No, 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 no. When I say washing away sins with detergent, bleach, and water, I mean he is literally taking detergent, putting it on himself, and then putting bleach on himself and the person, whoever whoever comes to him, and then washing that away with water. Now, there's two problems here, because apparently these folks have not read the Bible. The pastor does not wash your sins away. I don't know, and this is Brazil, and I, I was trying to bring the link up, and I could not bring the link up for, for whatever reason there was. I could not bring the link up, so uh, I'm sure if you Google it, you will find it. It's it's not hard. Uh, I I oh yeah yeah here I I I, I found it also on um, the old black church. Uh, Website, you go to go to the old black church blogspot.com and you can find it there. Um, and this is this guy is serious, you know. Uh, the, the people believe that he is actually washing their sins away, and <laughs> it, it's just amazing to me that the congregation is that ignorant. They come down obediently, and I mean, they're, they're getting on their knees, they're bowing before this man, and he has on a t-shirt, and he's getting all wet, and he's pressing them to his heart, to his chest. And, <laughs> and the whole time, you know, they are just falling for it. They're coming one by one. And my my, my question is, and according to the, uh, the site that I went, this is a, a, a Brazilian, a church in Brazil somewhere. Not in the states that I I may be mistaken, but I don't believe this is church here in the states. But either way, it is very clear that this church is not teaching the Bible. The pastor is not teaching the Bible. The the pastor is I, I don't know what to say, but it is what it is, and it's a sign. It's probably one of the worst signs, but it's a sign that uh, the church is. In danger uh, because we're allowing so much, allowing so much to happen. Um, now, I'm speaking because I'm speaking from this perspective as a part of a you know a a reform, a church uh, Zion that's mainline. So I may just not be hip to the new stuff. I, perhaps that is it. Uh, I'm just not hip to the new stuff. And if I no, I'm gonna leave that alone. I just thought it strange, and I think it's strange, and perhaps this is why it's becoming viral. The video has gone viral because it is strange, but nonetheless, it's weird. How could how could he have deceived his members so bad to allow such a thing? Well, it is what it is, and they are what they are. So that's one thing. The second, the second thing that I came across, and this was, this this was just, I don't even know how to describe this one. There's a famed guru in India, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his name, but it's a it's a weird name. Well, it's an Indian name, uh, but he's a Hindu guru or his own self, you know, whatever. Uh, I probably has traces of Hinduism in it, but anyway, somehow this famed guru 
managed to convince about 400 men that they needed to be castrated to get closer to God. Yeah, I, you heard that very, you heard it right. Uh, this spiritual leader is facing allegations of manipulating 400 of his male followers into having their testicles removed with the promise that doing so would help them be closer to God. I ain't down for that. <laughs> and I don't know how he managed to do that. But again, you know, for those who are, are, are desiring to be spiritual and they're they're on these quests and you know they're tired of the religious religiosity of church and uh, all this other stuff so they're they're seeking you know they're seeking and and it's not uncommon in India to have you know to have gurus such as this say some things like that and you know here in the states as as um particularly after the Beatles George Harrison and and others introduced most of the Western world to uh, to uh, guri, gurus and yogis and all that stuff. Uh, people have been transfixed on these things and, and these type of teachings because they are unorthodox. And the other orthodox in the contemporary world, the unorthodox is the new uh, the new thing. Well, the more unorthodox it is. The more spiritual it is. You follow people who go on these kinds of quests, and you know the story of those who have been in the sweat lodges and and were you know killed or died as a result. You hear about these people finding these new uh, these teachers of new things because they're hungry and thirsty after after spirituality, after spiritual things. And the church has, uh, you know, if it wasn't on the legalized end, it became on the uh, Ultra liberal end, and and they've you know never found much balance. Uh, but those people, you know, people like these got these four hundred men were seeking some type of spiritual enlightenment, and this guy took it clearly manipulated them and took advantage of. Them. But that's you know it's not uncommon that you know preachers do it in the church, they manipulate folk, manipulate folk to tithe, uh, manipulate folk to buy them houses or. Give them estates or whatever it may be, uh, and these people believe that doing so they're getting closer to God, and you know it's a false sense of hope. Uh, and of course, you know if we follow Scripture, Paul writes, "A hope that is seen is not hope at all." Um, of course, you know I'm, I'm stretching the context of that quite a bit, but uh, I think you know I, I'm <laughs> uh, sometimes I just wonder. Now, even though this was a Hindu, and even though this was a guru, I'm quite sure there there are Christian sects that are doing something similar. There there are leaders who are claiming uh, to be followers of Christ. Well, there are people, there are men now who are claiming to be Christ himself. So, I caution you. If you're a seeker, if you're if, if you're on a quest or some kind, if you're just if if you're discontent with uh, your your religious state, your spiritual state, uh, just don't you know. It's okay to search, but be aware. You know, be discerned. Uh, try to be educated. Educate yourself, and, and you know, maybe you won't fall in. You won't be like these guys. Maybe you won't fall into the con of this this guy. Um, I I don't know. And, and I'm gonna end on this. Se- I'm in this segment on this preachers of L. Uh, not preachers of L. Preachers of Detroit. Now, the preacher, this preachers of Detroit, um, has spurred a great argument about women in ministry. And um, now I personally know Dr. Uh, uh, Bishop Colette Vaughn. I met her. Several years uh, when I was in college, she came and did revival, shut the house down, and I had the chance to visit her church in Detroit. Uh, you know, when she was elevated, or consecrated, or elected to the office of bishop of the Full Gospel Baptist. I mean, you know, I've, I've followed this woman's ministry for over two decades now, and when 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 I when I saw her take the charge, 
or whatever it may be against you know, or the, the the conversation between her and Dorinda Clark Cole regard, regarding women in ministry and things of this nature. I, I wasn't expecting the polarity. I, re, I really wasn't. And it's raised a new debate in some Christian circles. And, and some, you know, of course, they'll get those, uh, there's the Kojic and those the Baptists. And with the Kojic, at least the knowledge, women in ministry, and they're limiting their roles to missionaries, evangelists. And there are some women who, who are pastoring, they are, you know, things of that nature. And in the Baptist church, you have some that uh, are more progressive with women clergy. Now, you know, on on my end, um, in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, we can boast. We've been allowing women in ministry since the 19th century. With Jerrain uh, Lee, I think I got that right. <laughs> but my point is, uh, there's a resurgence of the the dynamic of ministry regarding women in ministry, and I'm I me personally I I don't see what the fuss is about. Women make up about eighty five percent of a church's population, and they do about ninety five percent of the, of the work of ministry anyway. So it's no surprise to me. That women are taking a larger role in the leadership of the church. I welcome it personally. You know, I I was excited when when we elected our first uh, female bishop, uh, Bastai McKenzie. Uh, I was excited when we when we elected uh, two others, and I was you know one of them happened to be my pres- my presiding bishop until she retired in 2012, and they showed extraordinary leadership. Uh, we have we have women as presiding elders in our Zion. We have women who are pastoring major churches in our Zion who are doing outstanding things. Uh, we have some of the top scholars in Christendom, and particularly with our historiographer Teresa Fry Brown. I mean, not only is she a not is she a teacher of preachers, a preacher of amongst preachers, but she is a scholar extraordinaire. So, I think women have a place in ministry uh, now. I, I, I'm still surrounded by a lot of preachers, a lot of preachers, including some in my own family who still just will just say women don't belong in the pulpit. And uh, I, I I just don't get it. One time, uh, my father and I were having a discussion. My father's a traditional Baptist preacher, and God bless him. I love him. I was a Baptist preacher before I became in the Methodist. But... We were talking, and he just happened to give me, uh, <laughs> he gave me something, uh, a, a paper to read uh, that was basically opposing women in ministry and in biblical, you know, presenting the biblical arguments against women in ministry. And I looked at him and said, Dad, Dad why you give me this? <laughs> the reality is, I, I'm part of a Zion that endorses it, so you know. <laughs> well, anyway, so uh, I, it's an interesting, it's an interesting conversation that's being awakened or reawakened or further explored because of the preachers of Detroit. And, and mind you, when I heard some of the comments and read some of the comments uh, from others, it, it's I, it's it's not as divisive as it once was, but it is still. You know, still a long ways to go. Either way, to God be the glory. We'll see what happens when it happens. Um, I'm excited. Uh, we're about to go to a commercial break, and I'm excited about who we have with me as a guest today. We have a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal woman in ministry, uh, in the person of Dr. Tanisha Drennan, who is uh, she's a counselor, she's an educator, and she's a, uh, she is a minister. I. You know, she's pastor to me, so not to me, but <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, she'll be joining us after the break, and we'll be t- we'll be discussing uh, the mental and spiritual health of the black church, and why is it still taboo in the black church, and how can we, as a church community, uh, be more effective in raising the awareness and empowering our people to uh, to seek the care that they need. So. 
That's what I'm excited about. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back for the break, we'll be joined by her. Because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Talk to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Name your price tool, you tell us what you want to pay, and we give you a range of coverages to choose from. Who is she? That's Flowbot. She's this new robot we're trying out, mostly for like small stuff. Wow. Look at her go. She's pretty good. Pretty good. Hey, Flowbot. Great job. Oops. Uh oh, Flowbot is broken. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. Call or click today. I know Valentine's Day is over. I know a lot of sweet celebrations are over. But that doesn't mean that you can't still have something sweet. This, I, I want to give you an opportunity to have something sweet. Some sweet, sweet treats, cakes, pies, whatever you can think of. And you can get them from Shima's Gourmet Sweets. Shima's Gourmet Sweets make up some of the finest Craft this side of heaven. I'm talking about candied apples. You could just, uh, oh Lord, you just gourmet apples, popcorn balls, designer cakes for any occasion. If you're in the need for sweets, you need to give Shima's Gourmet Sweets a call because they can do it just about anything. I mean, they even made a Doc McScruffins cake for a friend. I, 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 uh, owner Tracy Earl and her staff do a wonderful job in making sure that you get exactly what you want to the best of their ability. But I'm telling you, it's always going to be good. And I'm, I'm talking about if you like cookies, if you like cakes, if you like pies, you need to give Shima's Gourmet Sweets a call. 601-940-7897. That's the number to call to get that. And I guarantee you, it would be the best you ever had. I'm telling you, I know from experience, the best you've ever had. Shima's Gourmet Treats. You'll have treats for every occasion. Give them a call. I promise you, you will not, you will not, not at all regret it. Zero. Today I'm getting your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and we're excited. It's hump day, and you know, before we get into it, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired. I don't know what the weather is like where you are, but it's warm today here in the great state of Mississippi. It's cloudy, it's warm, but then they're saying we're supposed to get snow and sleep in about a couple of hours, a few hours. And I, I, <laughs> I'm just waiting for spring to get here. I, I, we didn't get any snow. There were some places in North Mississippi that got snow, but here, you know, we didn't get snow. And I'm just waiting for the weather to make up its mind to decide what it's going to be. That, that's all I'm saying. Uh, I hope that you have a great day. I, I hope you're not getting snowed or rain or whatever it is. But if you are, enjoy it anyway. You know, you can't do anything about it. So just enjoy. I just thought I, I mean, I peeped out my window and I just saw that and I'm like, ah, man. <sighs> but then. 
you know, once it comes, it's going to come. It's going to be hot. So might as well just enjoy it. I don't know. Anyway, either way, welcome back. That was just a tangent I got off on. I just, you know, I'm ADHD, and every now and then my mind just wanders. Can't stay on focus. But I'm doing better than I was, y'all, yeah. Anyway, so we're here. Uh, uh, we're back, and we want to talk about uh, this taboo called mental health that the black church skirts around. And um, I've always wondered this. When I was a kid, I used to see, you know, I watched people uh, in the church shout and run around and do all this stuff. And, and then I would I would see after service how sad they were. It's like they were. It's like as if it was as if they were leaving some happy place and going to some dreadful place, and I never understood that. And I later, as I grew up and I began to experience uh, what Thomas More calls dark nights of the soul, I, I was wondering about my own spiritual and uh, mental health. And thank you, by God's grace, I was able to uh, get connected to people who understood and were able to care and help. But uh, today we're joined by Dr. Tanisha. Uh, I'm gonna get it right. Dr. Tanisha Drennan, who is not only she's a minister, but she's also a uh, pastoral counselor. Tanisha, are you there? I am here. Okay, good. Did I say your name right? The last time you did. <laughs> Blame it on the rain. Okay, I will, but I appreciate it. You kept you kept trying till you got it right. <laughs> hey, keep trying. That's I can't even think of the statement, but uh, you know. Uh, well, anyway, thank you for joining us, and um, I'm excited that you are on here uh, with us because um, I want I want to gauge church and the listeners to be proactive when it comes to this issue of mental health. We we in the last couple of years we've fallen. Sad to news of pastors committing suicide, uh, a lot of other issues happening within the church congregation, and a lot of deals with unaddressed mental issues. And so, uh, I'm, I'm glad you had this conversation. We we're about to have this dialogue, so we can move the church forward. So, before we get started, tell uh, my listening audience a little bit about yourself, your background, so forth, yada and yada. Okay, thank you again, Pastor, for having me on the show. It truly is an honor and a privilege. Um, again, my name is uh, Dr. Tanisha Drennan. Um, I have, I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the great brotherly love, uh, sisterly affection, city and state. Um, and we um, have been, whew, February 7th, marked 19 years in the pulpit ministry. I've been licensed and been ordained for uh, 19 years at this structure. Um, Thank you. Um, Started out um, with the matriculation of the pastoring um, and then got into Christian education, decided I wanted to teach, and then uh, began doing a clinical pastoral education internship uh, where you work kind of as a chaplain while you're being taught, but also working in the capacity of being a chaplain um, at a hospital, and decided that... um, as you have indicated earlier, that mental health has really become a taboo issue, or not become, still is a taboo issue in our denomination um, in the black church period. Um, And so wanted to be able to bring an avenue of greater understanding about that and to be able to articulate that to the masses at large. Um, So I started pursuing my doctoral degree and took the avenue of pastoral counseling. Um, I really decided that uh, we can't help everybody but I could be one person to help a few people overcome their mental health um, struggles and crisis. I also, as you alluded to earlier, saw a lot of pastors committing suicide, um, heard a lot of pastors reaching out incredibly for help um, and unable to receive it to overcome the stresses of life and the pressures of ministry and really wanted to, um, and felt called to and led by God to be a change agent. Um, in society that we said, okay, we're going to take the stigma off this thing and get people the help they need. So not only are they not endangering their own lives, but not endangering the flock and the members that they're caring for. Now that is very noble. 
and 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 I'm I appreciate you for heeding the call. I, I suppose both to to ministry and to this particular area. But uh, let, let's let's be real about this. Uh, how much should the church be involved in mental health mental health issues with with the with our members? Or how how much should pastors be involved with this? Because you know a lot of pastors. A lot of pastors, quote unquote, do counseling, and mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've come to discover that a lot of them have no idea what counseling is. Mm-hmm. And we know of stories upon stories of pastors who have fallen into sexual morality, all kinds of other traps because of counseling issues. You know, uh, okay. And, and, and but but really, how 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 much should clergy be involved? in mental health issues with their church and with the community? I mean, I think uh, the the question can be juxtaposed to how uh, in-depth should pastors or clergy be involved in social justice issues. I mean, I think that every issue that impacts society should ultimately dealt with, be dealt with in the church. Um, people are grasping at straws, um, trying to figure out how to navigate in this world. Um, and I think that the church's responsibility is to help people navigate from a spiritual perspective um, in a in a carnal world, so to speak. Um, and so I think that we ought to be very involved. I think that, as you say, a lot of people have been doing counseling, but they haven't been trained um, in what to look for to know how dangerous the situation is. Um, a lot of people are doing counseling, and they are only um, – Depending on the premises that Jesus and prayer will work it out, um, even fasting and praying. And of course, as a Christian, I'm an advocate for prayer. I'm an advocate for for hope. I'm an advocate for fasting. I'm an advocate that Jesus can and does all things miraculously. However, since we are carnal, fleshly beings, there are some things that affect us. Um, in this world that we have to learn how to bridge the two. We need to bring our spirituality, but we also need to um, deal with clinic, uh, mental health issues in a clinical way. Um, and so I think that we ought to be proactive um, in talking about, look, if you can't get out of bed all day because you're crying and you can't function and your life is so miserable, let's talk about not just your spiritual life, but how we can get you some professional help. I'm sorry, you didn't say something. You you mentioned something really really key uh, that most preachers, most pastors, uh, those who say they are called to some form of ministry, and persons come to them for counseling, they usually this is the usual formula: a scripture and a prayer. They just a matter of fact, in my in my library in my office, I have a reference book specifically for uh you know you know those there's a scripture for this particular evil. There's a scripture for this particular ailment. And then, you know, you read the scripture, and then you expound on, it, expound on it again, and then pray for the person and send them home. But that really mm-hmm. isn't effective, right? That, that really isn't effective. That's not 100% effective. Um, I think that that is one of the tools that we can use as, um, as clergy, in addressing mental health, I certainly, as a pastoral counselor, believe in bringing our spiritual tools. Um, I do believe that some of the things that we go through are spiritual warfare, but I don't want us to limit just that. I don't want us to say that it's not effective, that prayer is not effective, um, but I don't want us to say that that's all we should do. Um, what can we do in addition to prayer, in addition to faith, in addition to um, reading the word and standing on its promises, so that we're well rounded. So let me ask you this question, and this is within the same schematic of of what we said. Uh, so, do you think the black church is addressing uh, the issue of mental health correctly? By correctly, I mean, uh, are we offering or even aware? Of resources and things that that uh, aside from what the you know what the past can can do, do you think we're addressing? Um, I think that, that that's that's a loaded question, Pastor. <laughs> 
to say are we addressing it properly. I mean, I think that there are some who are addressing it properly. I think um, that more can be done. I do know of some congregations who have um, pastoral counseling departments with trained professionals who are providing counseling, not just the pastor providing counseling, um, but specific persons who are trained in this area clinically um, who, are, who are also spiritually grounded. Um, and I do see um, one thing that I've noticed about about, about, us, about us as leaders in the black church, we come up with great strategic plans, and we are wonderful at writing out how those plans um, could be implemented. We are laxing on implementing those plans oftentimes. And so I think that um, this, I think that we're not doing enough in the black church. I think that we could expand our scope um, by knowing, like you, you alluded to, you asked the question, oh, do we know the resources? I think many pastors and local congregations don't know resources to refer people to um, when they find them when parishioners find themselves in extreme crisis. Um, so I think one is knowing or being able to make the appropriate referrals. I think also um, the ownership has to come on those in leadership positions to make sure they're doing a check and balance of their own mental health stuff. Um, uh, if, if I'm in denial about what my stuff is, how can I possibly tell you what your stuff is and how to get it treated? <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Matter of fact, I got to come up for a hard break, and okay. when we come back, from, when we come back from the break, I want to talk about that. You know, when the clergy don't address themselves, their themselves, right? Uh, and then I also want to get into this uh, because I, 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 before I segue into the second segment, I was talking about women in ministry, and I also want to talk about you know the emotional and mental issues that women have to uh, struggle with. When it comes to to ministry, uh, so okay. uh, those are a couple of things we're going to talk about when we come back from the break. Okay, be right back. All right, thank you. Jackson State University is not just another university. It's a community. It's a family. And that's not all. Jackson State University is a national leader in biomedical research and development. With world-class science, math, engineering, and technology departments. At Jackson State University, we're leading the way in technology and innovation. One Jackson State University, changing lives one student at a time. I've been a victim of identity theft on more than one occasion, and I gotta tell you, it's never been a pleasant experience trying to clean up the mess afterwards. That's why I decided to find a safe and secure way of protecting my identity and my good name through LifeLock. LifeLock is more than just a credit monitoring service. It provides full identity protection and monitoring and scanning for any threats to your identity so it can also quickly respond to it. Now, here's the other good thing I really love about LifeLock is that it offers a guarantee of up to $1 million should you ever become a victim of identity death while using LifeLock. LifeLock is not an expensive thing. Plans start as low as $10 a month. I, I tell you, you ought to go there and check them out. Visit their website, www.lifelock.com, or call 1-800-607-7205 and enroll today, and I guarantee you will start to feel safer the minute you get it. LifeLock. You'll love it. It's our favorite, yours and mine, because we found it together on a walk, 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 love to walk, a long walk, a, a walk with you, a walk I smelled squirrels on, but I stayed by your side because I could tell, could feel that you had a bad day and me being bad wouldn't make it any better. But being there was already helping a little anyway. And then we found that wonderful thing waiting there, waiting for you and me. And you smiled and threw it. And I decided right when I picked it up, I would never, ever leave it anywhere. Ever. Because that wonderful bouncy roll-around thing 
had made you play, and that had made you smile. Put more play in your day. Beneful. Play. It's good for you. Welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I'm your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I'm joined by uh, Dr. Tanisha Drennan, who is a pastoral counselor, minister, educational, and uh, uh, counseling expert. And we were talking about mental health, and uh, before the break, uh, we brought up the issue of clergy mental health. And um, uh, Dr. Drennan, you, you still there? Still there? Yes, I'm still here. Okay. Uh, now, before the break, we were talking about you, you made the mention, you made the comment about clergy addressing their own needs, and that is, I think that's one of the biggest issues in this underlying issues in this topic in this taboo, uh, because you know in the African American church community, clergy are held in such high esteem, they're not they're, they're almost infallible. They can make mm. no mistakes. You know, they are the holiest of the holies. <laughs> In their members' eyes, they can do no wrong. And they certainly do not struggle or suffer with any of the ills the average layperson experiences. At least that's the myth size. <laughs> that's, the, that's the mythical pastor. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, we know pastors struggle in silence. I'm, I'm, my personal testimony is that uh, I took the courage to, when I was in graduate school, I was in seminary and grad school at the same time, experiencing some marital issues and working a full-time job, just really stressed. And mm-hmm. I felt like I was just breaking apart. And so I took the initiative to go see counseling. And it was, a, it was a very difficult thing to do. And uh, I had a wonderful uh, physician who not only understood my, you know, the side of me that was spiritual, but also understood the side that needed to be balanced out. <laughs> and, you know, for a while I was on medication to help, you know, I went, I thought I was bipolar. I wasn't bipolar. It was just, I was stretched. So mm-hmm. I, I was uh, prescribed uh, medicine to help balance me out. Not non-addictive, not anything like that, but it was just enough to get me through my little issue. And and even since I've been pastoring, uh, more recently, I have gone back to counseling. Uh, Reason I had to go back to counseling, uh, I I was a doctoral student in pastoral counseling, and uh, that was Mm -hmm. one of the, you know, you can't know how to counsel if you have yourself not been counseled. But but even during my my process of going through counseling, I had so much self-discovery that was revealed that I, I, I didn't know I did I hadn't even addressed. But mm-hmm. the end result was reflected in both my ministry and my preaching because I became more okay. transparent. You're right. So what what what's your take on that? Um I think first of all, I think that everybody ought to have a therapist kinda on standby. Um, I personally recommend that one is seen regularly, whether that's every week, whether that's biweekly, whether that's once a month, whether that's once a quarter. quarter. You ought to have somebody um, who is clinically trained that you can check in with um, and to get get an emotional checkup. You know, we um, have our our physical doctors, and I know that many of us, it's a similar issue, where we don't go to the doctors until we're in complete crisis. Um, but we all know that the best type of care is proactive care. And so I'm suggesting that persons have clinical professionals that they are engaged with on a regular basis for proactive care. Um, many times by the time we see somebody, it's because we're overwhelmed and burnt out 
and distraught and we're in crisis, whereas the goal for me is to prevent people to getting into a crisis mode. All of us are going to have stress. All of us are going to have life disappointments and triggers. But if we can garner the tools to navigate through that, then that keeps us out of crisis, that keeps us out of a suicide. Now, now, you're African Methodist Episcopal just like myself, and I'm sure you're aware. I'm sure you're aware mm-hmm. that in our discipline, it requires that every clergy, every person aspiring to be ordained, must take a psychological evaluation. Exactly. Now, you know, I know some people have been iffy about that. Uh, in my in my conference, we did it, and uh, it was the first time um, this current bishop did it the first time in I don't even know how long. And there were a lot of persons who, who uh you know, were kinda of protested. But nonetheless, uh we went through it. Uh would you advocate a psyche vow for clergy members who are already in pastoral ministry? Do you think they should I I, I know you said they should have a therapist <laughs> on call. But what about a full evaluation? Um, I want I'm hesitant to tread down this line um, because a psychological evaluation is looking it's dealing with mental health but it's not all encompassing in terms of looking at the emotional effectiveness and well-being of a person so that is to say that a psychiatric evaluation might Reveal that you are prone to physically violent outbursts, but not prone to go in your office and cry for two hours while eating a pack of Oreos. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I would advocate that we do both. And um, you know, a, a, a psychiatric evaluation will definitely reveal some things. Like if you are clinically depressed, depressed if you are um, bipolar. Um, if you have some type of um, manic disorder, a, psychi- a psychiatric evaluation will do all of that. So, yes, am I am I an advocate of that? I absolutely am an advocate because I do think that, um, which is a whole other topic, that be- but because clergy are not addressing their emotional, psychiatric, um, and sometimes spiritual issues um, or uh, distractions that they may have, that they end up, becoming sometimes intentionally the very un- often unintentionally abusive to the people that they're called to serve. Wow, that's that's a mouthful right there. Uh, now, let me ask you a question. Uh, are there signs regarding clergy? Are there signs that members should be aware uh should 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 be aware that their 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 pastor their ministers are experiencing some type of mental duress. What? What should what should the people be looking for? Um, one of the signs to be if you have a pastor who suddenly or or you begin to notice because it doesn't happen suddenly, but is disengaged, um, is not as enthusiastic about doing the work anymore, um, is coming to the office less and less often, is spending less time in fellowship with the members. Um, is, you know, suddenly very quick temper, or you might have inherited one that was quick temper off the box, Um, (laughs) then those are signs that something is not right. Um, Because Now, I'm not saying that healthy people never lose their temper or never get disengaged, but those are clear-cut signs that, that the pastor is probably overwhelmed in either one or multiple areas of their lives. They should be looking for that. I think they also should be looking for um, the pastor's willingness or rather empathy towards other persons who are going through emotional distress. Um, Are they cold-hearted? Are they empathic? Are they um, able to refer people with with appropriate resources? Or are they... (laughs) for lack of a better term, old school and saying, well, let's just pray about it and it'll be all right. Because uh, I think, again, I'm not bashing prayer in any way. I'm an advocate of prayer. I do know that prayer, prayer works. But when we as we're 
as clergy, we are expected to be the professions, the experts in our craft, right? Not just in preaching and teaching, but in caring for people. And so if we don't exhibit sound principles on how to care for people, then they need to be evaluating that as well. I also think a pastor who is not willing to take ownership for how they are impacting others is something that parishioners need to be looking out for as well. Because someone who is emotionally healthy, even though they may still have their issues or still be working through issues, is willing to be accountable for their role in a specific scenario. Okay, that and and that does make sense uh, because again, from my personal experience, uh, the more I uh, ask Matthew, you know, as I went through the counseling process, the, the more transparent I learned to be. And the more empathetic I became to the plight of others, mm-hmm. and my sermons reflected that because uh, you know they, they were hearing the transparency, my my, my fallibility, uh, if that's a word, <laughs> my humanity come through in, in the sermons, and uh, a lot of the, particularly the senior members, were the ones who were more engaged because they had not. I guess that preachers had prior preachers had not done that. I, I I'm, that's a big assumption, but I they they were the ones who really layered the the sense of love and community and belonging to me as I explored and expressed that transparency. And, and I tell you, I've been grateful for them uh, being able to do that. Now I don't know if they felt that they were doing that because they felt like I was their grandchild or something like that, <laughs> but okay, <laughs> but. It was it was just the fact that I got that sense of covering from them. Uh, I I guess that's the best way I could could put it. Okay. Uh, let's, let's 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 shift a bit now. Uh, again, uh, as I as I stated before, as I segue into the second second segment, I, I left out talking about women in ministry, and I know women in ministry have a more difficult time simply because they're women. Uh-huh. And I want to explore some of the issues, uh, mental and emotional issues, women, particularly women in ministry, face. Uh, I, I I don't even know if I'm asking it correctly. Maybe you can help me word it correctly. But what are some, what are some of the things that you believe uh, women in ministry experience emotionally and mentally uh, that can be addressed uh, by the church? Um, Well, I'll tell you, it's interesting that you are inviting me to participate in the conversation on that topic because you said something um, in passing, actually, even in your affirmation of women in ministry that really just uh, stuck a pin in my chest. You said uh, the Amy Church has been allowing women in ministry uh, since Jarena Lee, and that term in and of itself um, is quite or can be deemed um, elitist (laughs) and and insulting because you've been acknowledging, we've been acknowledging women in ministry. Um, Allowing them shows a position of um, elitism and male dominance, um, you know, that you're allowing. So when, when do we start allowing men in ministry? No, we've been acknowledging that people have a call on our lives. Um, and so I think that in and of itself, I think that you meant no harm <laughs> in what you said, but I think that there's still a subculture and an ingrained perception in men that um, a favor is being done to women by allowing us to preach, pastor, and lead Episcopal districts. Um, the calling that are on our lives is, is not from man but from God, and so you can't allow us to exercise that gift. Um, you can acknowledge it, but even if we never were permitted in a pulpit, even if we never broke through the proverbial glass ceiling to become elected bishops in the African-American church, we would still have that calling on our lives, and we don't need permission to exercise that anywhere. Now, that's empowering. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought that. I, you know, you, you, you're absolutely correct because, again, you know, from my perspective, it is – the the argument is whether we allow or don't allow because that is you know patriarch patriarchic uh patri- yeah that's a major 
I was yes. trying to use the beat word. That's what I get for trying to show myself. Uh, it's good. It's good. Thank you. Me, <laughs> See that? So you just proved women in ministry right there. <laughs> uh, no, but it, you're absolutely correct. Uh, for from the male perspective, you know, we do see it as, uh, and I, I hate to use the word again, allowing because that's the way it appears. Uh, you know that. We're giving you the opportunity to do it, but you're you're, you're right. If the calling comes from God, not from man, so we don't have to afford you the opportunity. God will do it. But uh, right. uh okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one issue. Um, I think another issue is that um, we're as women. A lot of times we are. It feels like that we're expected to apologize for being who we are as women for being emotional, for being, or if we're emotional, we're weak. If we're strong, we're, uh, we're, we're another word. That's <laughs> not so very pleasant. Um, yes. And so there's always an expectation of how we should be instead of allowing us each to be in our own individual state. Um, I remember I was 17 going on 18 when I got called into ministry and um, luckily for me, my mother was already in ministry and set a really good example for me about being a woman in ministry and exerting femininity because at that time there was still a lot of female preachers who had cut their hair and was all black and, you know, just were trying to emulate the status quo that men had set the precedence for. Um, and so one of the ladies came to me and said, well, if you're going to be in ministry, you're going to have to stop wearing these pastel colors. I had on a pastel green dress. I, I'll never forget that day. You're going to have to start stop wearing these pastel colors and wearing makeup and cut your hair. I had long hair at the time. And, you know, I thought, I, and my response, was very immediate that God knew how I was when he called me. And that was still his choice. And, of course, as you know, I'm sure most of us who have an authentic calling on our lives, we did not want to be in ministry. <laughs> um, and so I think the struggle is for brothers and sisters, unfortunately, I got to throw the sisters under the bus as well, allowing women to be women in ministry, allowing us to be girly, um, allowing us to be who we are authentically and that being acceptable instead of trying to make us fit into a status quo. Those are two of my my main issues that I see. Um, The elitism among men that think that they're doing us a favor um, as well as um, the perception of what women will be. I'll tell you, my colleagues and I have had conversations quite often about um, that we cannot recall seeing a woman pregnant in the pulpit. And that is because most of the time when women come into ministry, they've already had their children. Um, And God forbid they should have them in their early stages, their ordination is put on hold. So something like that in and of itself shows that there still is a dynamic. Men have their wives, girlfriends, whomever, get pregnant and they continue to do their job and, you know, no one really stops them. But why is it that we haven't seen a woman in a pulpit? Would that just completely shatter the church, even though we know where babies come from? You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you you bring this up because I was talking to a, uh, another male colleague about this very same thing, and uh, and I was explaining to them uh, to, the, to them. I said, well, our women in ministry, when they come in, if they're going through the process, they have to wear black. You know, mm-hmm. not not black and white, or maybe black and white, but you know, we they they are restricted for every meeting that they attend, especially during your conferences. They're licentiate or up if they're not in fourth year, up to fourth year studies and haven't received their uh, elders license yet, or elders orders yet. You know, they're restricted. They gotta wear that black and black and white every day. Mm-hmm. And, and uh. That that is to set them aside and let everybody know that they're in ministry. And then the men who do that, uh, I noticed <laughs> uh, we have one one young person who was was uh, well, let's put it this way: he just could not contain himself in one particular area, and <laughs> they did nothing to really reprimand him. They, you know, put him through, and 
uh, he ended up leaving the church eventually. Uh, but they put no pressure on him, you know, to be restricted. Uh, yet on the females, they put a lot of restriction. And it, it, it kind of bothered me, but, you know, I stayed with the status quo. I wasn't as courageous back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm a little more crazy now. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. So we have a couple of more minutes before uh, we have to end the show. Now, what what would be some of the, some of the things you suggest to the church? I, I would probably, uh, I guess this can be like a recap, recapitulation. And then uh, uh, also, while we have a few more minutes, uh, you can tell how people tell people how to get in touch with you and uh, oh, put in the plug for uh, your counseling service also. So, uh, what are some to recap? What are some of the things that a proactive pastor at the local level? Uh, or churches, denominations, to do at uh, at the denominational level to be more empowering in this issue uh, about mental health. Um, I think addressing it head on. I definitely would say um, incorporating biblical accounts, which requires research and ownership uh, from pastors, but. Um, doing Bible studies around mental health issues. Um, I think having seminars, I think having a list of resources to refer people to, either post it somewhere in the church or in your bulletin board. Um, I think just acknowledging that this is a real problem and that this is part of our spiritual care, saying we want you to be a whole person, very well-rounded. So those are some of the things the black church can do. Um, I also think that we can set the precedence. You know, in the Amy Church, we have something which my dissertation was modeled after um, called Care for the Caregiver, where every pastor and clergy person is supposed to have a mental health provider. They're supposed to see a mental health provider on a regular basis on all presiding all the districts, on all Episcopal districts. Well, you know, we've written, but we haven't implemented it. And so I think that now is the time to implement that program um, so that we're making sure, once again, that we're being proactive, not reactive. Um, I think that the black church uh, can be looking out for the warning signs in their members and in their clergy persons. And again, some of those warning signs are being withdrawn, being quick-tempered, being prone to emotional outbursts, whether they're verbal or physically, um, and then allowing a person not only to vent with you, but saying, you know, it's okay to pray and to see someone at the same time. I'm sorry. I had accidentally turned my mic off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's, that's my, my few nuggets of what the church can do. Uh, I forgot what else you asked me to expound on. You want to know where you can find me? Yeah, go ahead and do, you know, put a plug okay, in for great. yourself. Ministry and uh, thank you. So um, we're at a brighter day counseling. Um, you can find us at www.abrighterdayp as in Paul a dot com. Again, that's abrighterdayp.com. Um, or you can give us a call. Um, shout out at two six seven four one five six seven four six. Um, certainly, we're either available to take your call or leave a message to get back to you within twenty four hours. Um, personally, I can also be reached at www.tcdrennan, excuse me, tcdministries.org. So you have two websites, com and tcdministries.org. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure being with you and having this very, very important conversation. Well, I appreciate you. Uh, I like to turn to the professionals who know what they're doing. I'm just a wannabe most of the time. <laughs> uh, I, I you know again I I want to be empowering and I want us I want us, the black community to get out of the shadows in this issue because we're suffering in silence you know we have more pastors who can't get the help that they need we have congregations who feel afraid that if they do get help they're deemed you know not spiritual enough or lacking faith but either way it's something that needs to be done and I appreciate you. Uh, and uh, again, you've been listening to uh, Dr. Tanisha Drennan, uh, who is the uh, uh, owner of Brighter Day 
counseling services as well as a pastor and pastoral counseling expert and caregiver. So we just appreciate her for being here on the show. And uh, we're about to get out of here. It's a hump day, and I hope that you've had a wonderful hump day. But, again, we're here doing what we do, whatever we do, and we we're glad to be able to do it. We want you to tune in this time. It's off to you, Ken. We're here as every week, and we try to do topics that are informative and empowering. So until next week, we're